Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you. Please be seated. May the Lord grant healing. May He touch many hearts and lives. Now, there are some books circulating, and some of you may have these books on your library shelf. Uh, They have a title that goes something like this, The Difficult Sayings of Jesus. Anybody heard of those books? There's a few of them out there. They're and as you, if you're familiar with those books, and apparently many of us are not, but if you were, you realize that the author of this, these books tries to go back to the Hebraisms and the Hebrew language uh, uh, content of, of Yeshua's words and what he was talking about, what he was talking about that applied to his generation. And if you're uh, an ardent reading, reader of Scripture, or even not such an ardent reading of Scripture, you realize that some of the things that Yeshua said, and some would even go farther and say most of what Yeshua said, involve some hard statements, some really challenging statements. And today I want to speak to you about a few challenging statements and in some ways, that goes counterculture here in the United States and in Western culture, and really that's permeating the whole world, where we don't really like to have the, what's called the, the black and the white of things. We just want to find a gray area. And yet, when we carefully parse Yeshua's words, look at them, study, study those words, and try to figure out what is he trying to say, and with the help of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, we realize that there are statements that he made that do not leave a lot of gray area, even though we like to sometimes function societally in the gray area. So, I want to share with you, beginning with this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to suggest to you that this is a hard saying, and uh, try to make a case for that. For example, it says, for the message of the cross the tree, the execution stake, however you want to express it, the message of the cross and the message being what we commonly call the good news, the gospel, and Hebrew is called the Besorah. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And when we first read this statement, it seems pretty straightforward, and actually it is straightforward. But this verse, along with other verses similar to it, really does point out a hard truth, and the hard truth is this, especially in a society like ours, the hard truth is that uh, there are two sets of people. There are those who are perishing. Did you notice that? It says, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But then, and contradistinctively, it says right afterwards, it says that there's also those who are being saved. Did you notice that? It is foolishness, the message of the cross, the Besorah, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. And then in the same verse, it talks about, but to us who are being saved. And it points out two distinct groups, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Now, I would suggest to you that the process involved in both directions is pretty formidable. But there we have these two distinct groups, those who are perishing and those who are being saved, that are addressed within this particular verse. And you and I, this morning, we are in one of those groups. Think it through. 
You're either a person, individual, who's really trying to walk with the Lord and walk in what we might call the salvific process, the salvation process that comes through the Spirit of God by His working in us. Or we're going another direction where our heart is recalcitrant and obdurate and we don't want to follow the Lord and obey Him. Not a lot of gray area there, friends. We're either with the Lord or not with him. Actually, Yeshua said that statement many times. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he's talking to some well, well-skilled uh, scholars of the Torah, the Pharisees, and he, he told them in Matthew 12, verse 30, he said this, he who is not with me is what? Against me. Not a lot of gray area there, is there? You're with him or you're not with him. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And I know in my own life, and maybe you can relate to this, that there came a point, historical point, I call, and we all need to have what I call a historical point of reference where we know that we gave our life to the Lord and we never try to take it back. You need that in your life, even as I do. And I look back at my own life, and I do have the historical point in my life. I was talking with my wife, Miriam, last night, and mentioning to her, yeah, over the years there have been lots of mistakes. I've made lots of bad decisions. But never once have I ever looked behind as I had my hand to the plow. It's always pressing forward by the grace of God. And I hope that characterizes all of us today. We're pressing forward in kingdom matters by the grace of God and according to the power empowerment that comes through his Ruach HaKodesh. So Matthew 12, verse 30 says, He who is not with me is against me. Are you with the Lord today? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So those who trust in Yeshua as Lord and Savior, whether one is of Jewish background or not, that's not really the parsing point here. Those who trust in Yeshua are part of what the, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us in other passages. We're part of the body of Messiah. In a sense, we're representatives of him in our culture. Now, I don't know how that goes for you, but for some people representing the Lord in the midst of their workplace or their place of education, sometimes within their own family, can be a difficult challenge. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about. You want to represent the Lord because you're with him. He who is not with me is against me. You're with him. You made a decision, but you keep coming to these points of challenge that you face in your personal life where you have to either stand for the Lord or take a step back. Those who don't trust Yeshua are not part of his body. Gets a little confusing sometimes because outward appearance can look one way, but inner intention can be a whole different direction. Those who are not trusting in the Lord, they really are not part of his body, and that is a hard truth sometimes. That's a great dividing line when you think about it, and it has incredible implications. It would be a mistake for us to think of the gospel, the good news, the Bessara, the Evangelion as, Evangelion, as it's called in Greek, as a message that only applies to non-Jewish people. There are some in the Jewish community who think the gospel only applies to non-Jewish people. That's a mistake. It also is a mistake to view the writings of the New Covenant as anti-Jewish, because they're not. And there's much um, scholarship about that. But the New Covenant, when we, when we read the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, it, re- it reveals Yeshua to all who seek them. And many of you can remember in your own lives when you first got a glimpse and it seeped into you of who Yeshua is. Do any of you remember that in your life where you first started to realize who he is? I do. And I first started to read his words, and I realized, wow, he's like, like, not like anyone else. He's unique. How many agree he's the unique, only begotten son of the Father? There's no one like unto him. And the new covenant scripture revealed to us Yeshua. We begin to see him as he is, but it also the new covenant reveals to us that God's plan was very clear 
It was made clear to them as it, as it developed, as he mentored, as Yeshua mentored his Talmidim, his disciples, his shlichim, his apostles, as he mentored them, they began to understand increasingly what the plan of God was. He finally tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them in a very distinct manner. He says to them, you shall receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to who? To me, he said. And then he gives them this historical delineation of, of the process in Jerusalem, and in all of Yehuda, in Judea, and in Shomron, Samaria, and to Ketzei Olam, to the othermost parts of the earth. He tells them there to start in Jerusalem, then into the province around Jerusalem, which was Judea, then into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Rob Shaul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Here, this Pharisee, as we say, tutored and, and studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and Josh alluded to the actual, the, the, the rebirth process, the spiritual rebirth of Rapshul Paul the Apostle when he was doing the liturgy. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The good news, the Bessarah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. Notice it's the gospel of Messiah. Some of us are speaking the wrong things. We need to speak the gospel of Messiah to continue to lift up Yeshua. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of salvation, power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. That second statement, for the Jew first, also for the Greek, is what's called the gospel priority. We see it also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which we already read. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Rav Shaul says, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And historically, as we read the book of Acts, we realize that's what happened. That that's exactly what the apostles did. We should be thankful that they obeyed the commission. And we should also learn from that in our own lives that we need to obey the Lord's commission on our lives. And what does he want us to do? Now, this gospel, or besorah, the Hebrew term for gospel, this gospel expresses and brings to a certain level of fulfillment the core values of godliness that are revealed in the Tanakh in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the Tanakh. The core values are, are brought forward and the gospel brings it to a certain level of fulfillment in Messiah Yeshua. For in the gospel, Yeshua, the suffering Messiah, as we often call him, who's now the risen Messiah, hallelujah for that. But it's in the gospel, Messiah is revealed as the triumphant king of the universe. Just think about it. His very humble beginnings... Now, I know there are different ways that that's viewed, but there's one description that fits any, any of it, and that's he was, he was born in humble means in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, in very humble means and circumstances he was born. And yet, when we read his whole life, we realize that at the end of it, the grave could not hold him. He's the triumphant king, and he ever lives and he ever reigns. Blessed be his name. So this suffering Messiah then is portrayed in Scripture, and we see the fulfillment of it. We see it pro pro projected to us or, or portrayed to us in the new covenant, and we see him as the triumphant king, and he's the king of the universe. We see him again as the one who's risen from the dead where the grave could not hold him and death could not hold him. We see him as the one who's seated. He's seated in eternal authority. As the scripture states that he's enthroned at the right hand of the, of the authority or power on high, there's Yeshua, seated in the place of authority, so that every name that's given among men doesn't compare to his, so that every knee shall bow at the name of Yeshua. There's where we're heading. It's coming.
as I was driving in here today and all the traffic going by me to and fro and everything, and I was trying not to speed. Now you know some of you do the same thing. <laughs> I was trying to do the speed limit, and, and I was driving by, I realized again that the day's coming when we will see the king, the, the judge of all the earth, the ruler of all the earth. That day's coming. And some of us are aware, and some of us are totally unaware of that day that's coming. And I'll tell you, we need to make sure that we proclaim the message of Messiah Yeshua, because at the name of Yeshua, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess, and what shall every knee bow, and every tongue confess? Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. <laughs> He's the Lord. <laughs> As we heard today, he's the uh, big L, the big O, the big R, the big D, or if you'd like, the big L dash, the big R, and the big D. He's the Lord there. Now, Isaiah the prophet made this interesting statement in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. It says this, Ki Adonai shovtenu, Adonai mechokakenu, Adonai malkenu hu yoshienu. Translator says the Lord is shoftenu. He's our shofet. He's the judge, what we were just speaking of. He's our judge. The Lord is mechokakenu. He is our lawgiver. That's who he is. The Lord is Malkenu. He is our king. He's our Melech. He's Malkenu. And then it says this. It's an interesting type of expression. It says, Who, Yoshienu, he will save us. How many of you are glad today that we have a king who is also a savior and he's able to save us no matter how deep in the depths of sin you may go or how much you may feel overwhelmed by this world? He is your savior. He's the one you need to look to. He's the one we all need to look to. And then that begs the question, and that question is this. He wants to be your Lord and savior. And here's the question. It's only two words, actually. <laughs> basic English words. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. And here's the question, is he? Is he? You're working that out every single day of your life. You're either with him or you're against him. You're gathering with him or you're scattering abroad. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Is he? Or we can take that farther. Are you permitting him to be? The very idea means that we then are seated at that place of authority in our life and we are our own God. How dare we think that way concerning the King of Kings? Yeshua declared about himself in John chapter 10 this incredible statement. I'd encourage you to read all of Yochanan chapter 10 if you can. But he said, I am the door, the door to the sheep he was talking about. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, what does it say next? He will be saved. We don't want to try to enter some other way except through him. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out, and guess what? He'll find pasture. The idea is he'll, that person will be fed. The Hebrew word for a shepherd, the Hebrew word for pasture, the Hebrew word for feeding the sheep is all connected to the same three-letter roots, a little different in English. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out, and he will find pasture, good feeding grounds. You'll be nourished spiritually. But then verse 10 comes, and sometimes this is where the battle lines are drawn. Verse 10, it says, the thief does not come except to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. It continues, he continues, Yeshua says, I have come that they may have life. And not just life, by the way, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We call it abundant life. And how many of you have experienced that in your personal walk, that as you have walked more and more with the Lord, there's been increasing abundance, spiritual abundance in your life. And I hope that's true for all of us. 
It's a sign of a commitment that we are making to the Lord to follow him, and we know that he's always faithful to his commitments. He's faithful. He's true. Verse 11 continues in Yochanan, John chapter 10, and it says this, and many of us love this idea. Ani haroehatov, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> you know how much that changes with just one word changed? I am the bad shepherd. I am the unfaithful shepherd. I am the uncaring shepherd. I am the selfish shepherd. And you can fill in the blanks. I am so glad this little Hebrew word tov is probably what he used. It says, I am the roe hatov. I am the good shepherd. Has he been good to you? Is he being good to you? How are you towards him? Are you committed to walking with him? Are you walking that out on a daily basis? at your workplace, your education place, your family. I am the good shepherd, and then this, which brings us back to our first verse, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, brings us back to the very core message of the Bessarah, the gospel. It says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Not too long after Yeshua made this statement in Yochanan chapter 10, not too long afterwards as we get to the end of the book of Yochanan, the book of John, Yeshua will lay down his life for us. Yes, for us. We're 2,000 years away from the historical fact that he laid down his life, but his blood still avails for us. His vicarious atonement still avails for those who place their trust in him. Now, we revel in the grace and in the love and the mercy and the compassion that's made available to all humanity, both Jewish and non-Jewish, to all humanity, to all who believe the good news message of Yeshua. We revel, revel in His grace. We're thankful for His grace and His love and His mercy and His compassion. And we learn that God's word is trustworthy. We can trust him. Now, we may be interacting with human beings that we don't know how much we can trust what they say. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Maybe you've been one of the people that's been looked at and said, I don't know if I can trust what he or she's saying. But we rejoice knowing that, that God is trustworthy. We rejoice knowing that his promises are sure. And that his faithfulness endures forever. He's not just faithful for a short time, but he is faithfulness incarnate. It even says that we are faithless. He is faithful because he can't deny himself. He can't deny his very nature. That's who he is. He's faithful. He's true. And we marvel at God's great power, his great power to save even the most desperate situations. And some of us have come out of that in our lives. He reached down into the very pit that we were in, and he, he extended his hand of mercy to us, and he raised us up and set our feet on the, on the rock, the high place far away from that pit. Sure, the struggles still persist, but he intervened at one historical point in our life, and we marvel at his grace and his power, his ability to save even the most desperate human being who's willing to call upon him from the heart and cry out to him and ask for God's help. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever asked for God to help you? He's an ever-present help. And we marvel at how he intervenes, and we look back sometimes in, in, in lives and we see individuals whose lives have been changed because they believe the good news message, the gospel message. Both Jews and non-Jews have believed and received from the Lord, uh, you know, the benefit of his grace extended to them. But ultimately, be assured, God's righteous judgments will prevail. Who shoktenu is how Isaiah said it. He is our judge. They will prevail. He is Adonai. He's the Lord. And within this gospel message, this good news message, the Besarah, we also see the confluent and the prophetic trajectory of the words of the prophets of Israel pertain to things like salvation and redemption and deliverance and life from the dead. And even this simple word in Hebrew, it's so simple, it's even simpler than English, the word or, which means light. 
we see that prophetic trajectory in all these areas pertaining to things like I just mentioned, salvation and redemption and deliverance. If you've been reading the Torah portions and will continue reading, you realize there's a great deliverance happening. It's being portrayed in the Torah portion. This week's power shall bow. Great deliverance God is, is bringing forward for the children of Israel as they're literally in the mud pits of Egypt. And we realize that he gives life from the dead and he causes light to arise in the darkness as he did with Israel in Egypt, as he's done in some of our lives, as we've called upon him. Yeshua is truly, he's Or Haolam, he is the light of the world. Yeshua said in John chapter 12, verse 46, he said this, verse 46, he said, I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me, read it carefully what it says, should not abide in darkness. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And the implication, is, or there are many implications to this statement from John 12, verse 46. But one implication that's particularly unsettling in some cases is that those who do not believe in Yeshua are actually abiding in darkness. They may not even realize it, but they're abiding in darkness. He said, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Well, what about those who don't believe in him? They're abiding in darkness. And when I think about darkness, I can't help but think of what to me has always been the most harrowing of the ten plagues. And that's the plague of Choshech, darkness. And it wasn't just darkness like we do when we turn a light off at night. <laughs> it was considerable darkness. And uh, let me remind you what happened. It's in the book of Shemot, Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 10, verse 21, part of this week's parasha, which we'll go into more depth uh, at 145 today for those interested. Then the Lord said to Moshe, to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be choshech, darkness, over the land of Egypt. Darkness, which may even be felt. And when you read that, you realize this is not, let's put out the, the, the lamp type of darkness. This is darkness that, that, which may even be felt. This is thick darkness. Now, we almost take this for granted. God told Moses to stretch out his hand towards heaven. And we take for granted that Moses is going to obey because he does. And he repeatedly obeys the word of the Lord to him, which is pretty amazing in itself, except for one incident that cost him dearly. It says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand, and then we read right afterward, so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. And there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Verse 23 of Exodus chapter 10, they did not see one another. Ooh. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Now, this is darkness with a capital D. They couldn't see one another, and they couldn't rise out of their place. Why couldn't they rise out of place? Because they didn't know what was in front of them. It was that thick much rabbinical discussion about it, this unusual, miraculous type of darkness. But then there's this statement, and it's almost emblematic of the difference between walking with the Lord and not walking with the Lord, of being in his covenant and following him and not following him. It says, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Picture that. Imagine that. Just think about that. The impact of the Egyptians. Now, this is the ninth of the ten plagues. Imagine that as all these others have, have come forward from the, the, the lice and everything that's come forward, the locusts, etc. And imagine this, the ninth one, and the, and the Egyptians, they can't move. They're in complete darkness that can be felt. And they, they won't, don't even want to move. 
and yet all in the Jewish quarter, let me put it that way, among the Israelites, they had light in their dwellings. Now, darkness is not the plan of God for those who know Yeshua. Light is, that we would walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Messiah would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a distinguishing there was in Egypt between the Egyptians in darkness and the children of Israel in light, the covenant people. And thankfully, thankfully, we find, again, there's so many valuable aspects to covenant relationship with the Lord. But we find this valuable aspect of covenant relationship. Not only does, is he the light of our life and the light of the world and light onto our path, his word is. But he also is the one who gives us peace in the midst of our circumstances. Has he ever given you peace? That was well beyond understanding when you face some harrowing situations. He certainly has for me, and I know he has for you too. But it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. How do we have peace with God? Through Yeshua. And if you're here today and you feel estranged from the Lord, you feel distant from the Lord, go to the Messiah. Ask him for his help. Let your request be made known to him. And he may work in your life and, and call you forward into uh, some new direction in your life. There may be things in your life that need to be jettisoned off of your life. There may be things that need to come into your life that you need to, to emphasize more. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. And then verse 2 of Romans 5, through whom also we have access by faith or some translations say through trust, trusting, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The scripture goes further in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, and it talks about the Spirit of God, His Ruach, as a guarantor of His love. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Messiah and has anointed us is God. And then verse 22, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit, his ruach, his spirit, has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Sealed with the spirit of God. And you see the sufferings of Messiah as we again think of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. His sufferings occurred because of our sins and, and not his. That's quite a thought, that his sufferings were on our behalf, and they were necessary for us, and actually for several reasons, actually a long list of reasons, but let me share several with you. They were necessary because we were estranged from the God of the universe because of our sin. We were dead in our sins, if we can use the Romans terminology. We were dead in our sins. But Romans terminology really connects back to Isaiah chapter 59, beginning verses 1 and 2, where it explains in Isaiah chapter 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. In other words, there's no problem with God in this equation. <laughs> The Lord's hand is not sure and that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. And then Isaiah continues by saying, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So we were without hope in this world if we were just based upon our own goodness really our own sinfulness. We were guilty before a holy God because the standard of holiness is being broken, was being broken in our lives before we turned to the Messiah. 
we were unable to save ourselves. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't save ourselves. We were helpless and we were defeated before the adversary that we're introduced to back in the book of Genesis and who's explained fully in Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 12. And we were destined, and this is a hard saying again, I want to talk about hard sayings. We are destined for eternal damnation. Think about that. That Messiah's suffering on our behalf changes this whole equation when we trust in him. We place our trust in whether we're Jewish or non-Jewish, those who place their trust in him. The equation changes because of his righteousness. Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us that Messiah Yeshua was wounded for our transgressions. Goes on and says he was bruised for our iniquities, and it continues, says the chastisements for our peace were upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Continues, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, him being Yeshua, the iniquity of us all. Blessed be his name. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21 expresses this this way. For he made him who knew no sin, him who knew no sin is Yeshua, the Messiah. He made him who know, knew no sin to be sin for us, like a sin offering for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have a changed life. And as we read in this week's parasha, this week's Torah portion, we read about the very first Passover and I want to encourage you, if you've never been to a community Passover Seder, to save your shekels and, and plan to come to the Rosh Pina Seder. It's very worthwhile. But we read about the very first one in this week's parasha. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years in verse 41 of Exodus 12. On that very same day, how amazing that is. That very day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. The text continues that the first Passover is instituted. And then we come to verse 50. It says, thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did in verse 51 of Exodus chapter 12. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies, their divisions, according to their ranks. He brought them out of Egypt at the exact day as he said he would many centuries before. It's because of God's intervention, you know, in accord with his covenant love and his mercy, because he intervenes, and he's probably intervened in your life. There are some times we recognize his intervention. There are other times we're not even aware that he intervened. It's a pretty common saying in, in my household that we realize sometimes when things don't go as we plan that perhaps God had intervened. And who knows what would happen if our plans had gone the way we had planned. <laughs> But you realize that God's intervention in accord with his covenant of love and his mercy to those who were bound in Egypt, his intervention led to their freedom. And Messiah's intervention in our life leads to our freedom. That whom the Son sets free is what? That person is free fully, indeed, truly free. And Messiah, it says in 1 Corinthians, Messiah is called, it said, Messiah, our Passover. Messiah, our Passover, sets us free from the Egypt of our life. Now, that's axiomatic, but it's true. He sets us free from Egypt in our life. And there are five principles we can glean from Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Number one, God is sovereign over the lives of his people. When we're his, he's got a sovereign rule over us. He intervenes. Number two, God acts in his timing and according to his purposes. And you know what? You can put a little asterisk next to that. He acts in his timing according to his purposes. But I found this, and I think you would agree with it. I found that he is never late. <laughs> 
His timing is impeccable. I mean, we just read about to the very day that he had, he had said the children of Israel would be in Egypt for that many years, and to the very day they were there, and he let them out on that very day. Later on, Daniel, the prophet, will be reading the prophecy of Jeremiah that says that Israel would be 70 years in captivity. And he reads the scroll, he looks at it, and he realizes it's the 70th year. You know what he does? He prays and he sets his face to God and says, God, your will be done. May your word come true. And there's a great battle in the heavens. The book of Daniel expresses much about it. There's a great battle in the heavens, but ultimately, guess what happens? It happens exactly like God said, battle or no battle. And he uses Daniel, the prophet, to help put that forth into the world. My friends here today, let's make sure that we are proclaiming the right message to those around us, a message that is Messiah-centered, that is full of the Word of God and offers hope to a dying world, because that's really the true message. So number two, God acts in His timing according to His purpose, and He's never late. He's impeccable with His time. Number three, He intervenes in our lives in order to help us. Can correcting us be a help to us? How many of you can say yes? Correcting us is a help to us. We're going the wrong way. We want him. I don't know. I, I say I want him to intervene. I plead with him to intervene. I'm sure you do too. Lord, don't let me go astray here. I want to go your way. Your way is the way of life. Where else can we turn, by the way? to the latest news channel, to the, you know, the latest fling that's going on in society around us? No. God is a faithful one. And he intervenes in our lives in order to help us. He is our deliverer. He is our redeemer. There's no one else that can deliver. He's the true one. And he's the redeemer. He has bought us with a great price, even the price of his son who willingly laid down his life for you and me. Number four. To obey God is our best ongoing response to his help and mercy. Obedience is the best response. Yeah, if you, you really want to give, give your best to God, be obedient to him. Every area that you can, obey him. Even if it's hard, even if it's a difficult thing, obey him. If it's morally, do what his word says. Whatever error, socially, do what his word says. Obey him. Don't make up your own rules because your own rules will falter. Don't listen to what society says is okay because it's really not. God is the judge. Or as Isaiah says, who shoftenu? He is our judge. And number five, when we obey God, guess what? We are not alone. <laughs> We are not alone. When we obey God, we are really not alone. There are other believers, both Jewish and non-Jewish, across the faith of the earth who fill the ranks of those who are obediently serving him. To me, it's a modern marvel to see what's happening in the nation of Israel. To go from zero-sum Messianic congregations, by that I mean congregations that are, contain Jewish and non-Jewish people that love Messiah Yeshua. And, it's, it's, and now there are many of them. Virtually every major town and city in Israel has a Messianic congregation in it. And I remember, and some of you here remember, when that was not the case. I remember walking miles, literally, to go somewhere for fellowship. And it wasn't even a Messianic place. It was a Baptist place, but at least they were believers walking miles down the railroad tracks in Israel when I was living on a kibbutz just to have fellowship, to be with other believers. And you know what? They were there. Now they're there. <laughs> and not only that, I think it's quite miraculous that Israelis are now going out into the world in basically all the continents. And they're not necessarily proclaiming the wonders of is, uh, Israeli technology or all the great things that Israel's brought forward technologically, etc. But they're, they're saying something that's even more important. They're going forward into the nations of the earth and proclaiming the Messiah, Yeshua, and proclaiming the message, the Besarah, the good news. So you have Israelis who are ministering in places like Korea. 
You have Israelis that are ministering in Latin America, Argentina, Brazil. You have Israelis that are ministering in places like Cambodia and India. It's quite amazing. In my opinion, it's very amazing that God has done such a thing in this generation. From almost a zero sum to now, there are Messianic congregations in Africa. There are Messianic congregations in North America, Central America. It's pretty amazing. And Israelis are increasingly part of it. Even today, some of the songs that we sang came from our Israeli brothers and sisters. They were inspired to write those songs. Amazing to me. In our generation, we are seeing what I would call the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people. We're seeing it. And we're seeing Jews and Gentiles becoming one community. Rosh Pina is an example of that. One body of believers and ultimately Yeshua the Messiah is the head of the community. As Ephesians 2 verse 14 states it. For he himself is our peace. Who shlomenu. He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the mechitzah, the middle wall of separation. In verse 16 of Ephesians 2, it says that he might reconcile them both, both Jews and Gentiles, reconcile them both in one body. How? And this gets back to our original premise. How? Through the cross, the tree, the execution stake. Because when we recognize that Messiah died for us, whether we're Jewish or non-Jewish, when we recognize that, we become unified in our understanding that our life belongs to him. We are bought with a great price. Let me repeat again 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross, the tree, the execution stake, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, we are all numbered among those who are perishing or among those who are being saved. And I pray today that everybody hearing these words, you are numbered among those who are being saved, that the salvific process, the process of God's redemptive work within you is going forward onto the day of Messiah because he's able to complete that good work which he's begun in you onto that day. Now, in this message, I mention hard statements. I want to leave you with one hard statement. It's a toughie. I know there are some in our society that would not want this passage in the Bible. But guess what? <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's there. It's fully there. It's John chapter 3, verse 36. He believes in the Son has everlasting life. How many of you like that one? I like that. <laughs> he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Is that a hard saying? It is, especially in a society like ours that wants everyone to have equal share of everything. Well, everyone's welcome to an equal share of Messiah, but not everyone's choosing to follow him, and choose ye this day whom you will serve. Not choosing to follow him. And there is a difference between those who trust and obey the Lord and those that don't trust him and don't obey him. And ultimately, Adonai Shoftenu, the Lord is our judge. He's going to see. He has the final word on this. Not the Congress, not the judges. God has the final say. And the message of salvation and faith in Yeshua that leads to repentance from evil deeds as God deems evil, not as a society does, that message is out there. It's in the nations. It's made it all the way to New Zealand and it's gone all the way across to, to uh, Thailand and all the way across to the Philippines and all the way into China where there are increasing numbers of millions of believers and all the way to Iran, which purportedly has the biggest growing believing community in the world. Deeply into Africa, where there are Messianic synagogues in places like Nairobi and Rwanda. All the way to the tip of Joburg on the south there. All the way up into Cairo and all the way across Europe there. But has that message found place in your life? 
and in your heart. Are you obeying him? Are you in that salvation process? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that your word is very clear that our sins have separated us from you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are leading your people away from those things that are displeasing to you and into those things which are pleasing to you. We call upon you for help, that you would help us, Lord, in the workplace. You would help us socially, that we would do what's right in your sight. You'd help us morally, that we would live in a way that's morally right as you deem morally right. You would help us in relationships, that our relationships would be godly, uh, regardless of what society says. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, that we might be your vessels. Thank you, Lord, that it was your choice to send your son, and he came willingly for us. I pray this day, Lord, that we would be faithful servants to you. Thank you for our Israeli brethren. Thank you for using them. Thank you for our South American brethren and Central American brethren and Asian brethren and European brethren and African brethren and brethren across the face of the earth that you have caused to come to know you, that you have drawn with your tender cords of love and mercy. Lord, use us in this day and may you be glorified in our lives. I ask these things according to the merit of the matchless one, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.